0: I have a song for you. Okay. So it's very short. Here we go. Well, not the guitar singer. Okay. Emily and I are into bad religion. They play in the and I got a white precision. Do what no one else doesn't praise the good of other men. For goodness sake, should be written on
1: an epitaph. Hey. Did you get suffer and then get a thesaurus? <laughs> I actually
0: got the thesaurus after no control, but yeah. <laughs>
1: same it's i mean it's just this, it's the same situation as suffer big words oh my goodness very large words <laughs>
0: <laughs> with knowledge comes first this podcast starts first we're hoping that you'll enjoy the show get ready Get set let's go hello and welcome to the second episode of this podcast strikes first a recognition of the impact slash significance of the band bad religion as well as a celebration of the communities who have found inspiration through the gift of their music my name is jimbella and thank you for joining us again before we begin i want to announce that we have an email address yay We'd love to hear from you. So please contact us. Hopefully some of the questions you have here were answered in our inaugural episode. But in case you have further questions, comments, or suggestions, please contact us at first, all lowercase at gmail.com. That's first at gmail.com. And hopefully some questions will be answered for you today as well. With the help of a person I am very happy to have here today. Yay! (laughs) Like many folks, I was introduced to Emily Davis through their Bad Religion covers. I soon came to discover that they've got some great original music as well. Emily is an El Paso, Texas-based singer-songwriter who obviously loves Bad Religion, but they are also an artist in their own right. Producing solo works as well as folk and punk based bands such as Emily Davis and the Murder Police and Cult Loveless. Emily has opened for Nico Case, the Cold War Kids, as well as the inspiration for this podcast, Bad Religion. Welcome, Emily.
1: Thank you. Uh, uh, What a wonderful idea for a a podcast! I love it so much. I, there's so much you could talk to people about. I mean, it's just one of those bands having been around for 40 years, right? There's, <laughs> yes. I'm sure there's plenty of discussion points to be had. So I love the title. Um, It's like probably one of my top favorite albums from their discography. So nice.
0: that is my favorite Bad Religion <laughs> album. So
1: I Yeah, like- <laughs> I, I say I say that it, I hesitate to say that it is because every time I'm listening to one of them, I, I might think that that one actually is. But I, I always go back to Empire Strikes first. I think there's a lot of nostalgia for me because I started listening to Bad Religion shortly after it was released. So it's probably my favorite album, too. (laughs) Oh, wow, that was one of
0: the questions I had. But, you know, we'll still get into that. But my first question before we get into anything, this is the real first question. What are your thoughts on Into the Unknown?
1: (laughs) You know, Bad Religion has a song called Do What You Want, right? And I could only assume that's what they wanted to do at the time. I've read the book a little bit. I'm sure there's like some additional details as to why they did what they did. And I know it was to the dismay of some of the members, but make the music that comes out of you, you know, and if that was what was coming out of them at the time, good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad they did it. I don't listen to the album a whole lot because I think there are albums I like more that I'd rather pay attention to, but I don't think it's bad. Yeah. I think that there's some really good songs on it. The Dichotomy is one. They were playing that a lot recently on tours. So it was good to see that one. I love the song Chasing the Wild Goose. I love Time and Disregard. I love um, A Million Days. Yes, that's The lyrics to that song, for, for somebody who was, what, 19 at the time, pretty damn good. So <laughs> I love Into the Unknown. I have no qualms with it.
0: Thank you. That That is if I had to quote unquote rate anything, that's one of my top two. I don't care what anybody says.
1: Really? Yes. Okay.
0: Yes. Oh, cool. That That and the Empire Strikes First are my two favorite bad religion albums. And I might be yes. the only person who thinks that way. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> the question, of course, you know, and then anything else you want to say, what is your perception based on your own experience as well as what some may have told you? In terms of why people connect with the band, also, yeah, how were you introduced to Bad Religion? You did mention that a little bit, and what was your journey in terms of finding inspiration through their music?
1: So, I like many people my age was introduced to Bad Religion through Tony Hawk Pro Skater Two. That was the first time I had ever heard any of their songs or song song. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that was four or five songs on that game that I just kind of looked through always. It was like the same four or five and You was definitely one of them. Every time they said the F-mom, I would turn my volume down a little bit so my parents wouldn't hear and make me stop listening to it. I was introduced to them more formally in high school by uh, my ex-husband. We were friends at the time, and he um, loved sharing the wealth of bad religion and their knowledge. And so um, he made me a burnt CD of a number of songs that were from Into the Unknown. I think Let Them Eat War, To Another Abyss, were a couple that were on there bunch of other songs too. So I fell in love with that mixtape and he made me another one. And soon after I was listening to all of it. So uh, a gateway drug into a very large discography, even at the time.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) I honestly don't remember how I got introduced to them, but I think it was just, you know, buying a whole wave of cassettes that Mm -hmm. I had this job and I was still in high school and after school, I would just buy all these cassettes. So it was around 15, 16, something like that. That's what I would spend my money on was cassettes. And I think that was just no control was one of them. <laughs> the rest is history. Your other introduction to bad religion was actually in person because you're being open for them. And I know that's a dream for many people. How did that come to yeah.
1: fruition? I sometimes like I look back on that and I'm just I I tell people and I'm like, nobody gets to open for their favorite band. Nobody gets to do that. Nobody gets to. (laughs) I mean, occasionally. Right. But (laughs) but nobody gets to open for their favorite fucking band. So I, I realize that I just I've lived such a life that I can't even begin to fathom. So I met Jay through the bad religion page, the BR page which is a website. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. It's been around for like 30 years and Jay used to be a bit more active on it. I would engage with him on that site. And then that's really where I first started posting my covers. Obviously they were on YouTube, but YouTube was still kind of just like this, what is this thing, you know, 15 years ago. And so he took notice of the covers and Jay is like, if you ever have the opportunity to meet him or get to know him, if Jay sees value in what you're doing, he's going to he likes to bring people up with him. You know how they, I forget if there's a saying dedicated to whatever I'm trying to articulate right now. But there are people that when they find success, they they hoard it all to themselves, and they're like, "I don't, you know, this is mine." And then there are people who, when they find success, they realize that it was through the volition of others that they got to where they're at. It's not just one Herculean act, right? It's a communal act to get people that in a in a supported, luckily position, right? Anyway there's a number of people that I've met who are creatives that he has just bolstered and applauded. And he had chosen to do that with me. And so, um, you know, I started seeing him at the shows and he was always very nice and encouraging. And for a while I was a solo artist. And so I released my third album, 2015. And that was the year, actually, that's an interesting story. I had stopped playing music entirely. I didn't play music for like two years. Didn't even touch my guitar, forgot like a bunch of my songs. I had just gone through a depressive episode and whatever jay reached out to me on the br page asking if i wanted to open for them in el paso and it's like one of those things where i know right no one gets to open for their favorite band <laughs> i remember just looking at my computer and being like shit 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 like <laughs> yeah and so i you know i told him i haven't played music in two years and he's like well it's up to you and i was like who says no to that what kind yeah. of idiot so i said yes and then you know that got me started on the path down making music again that it just it's crazy how integral to my life they are i it's people probably think it's like overstated or dramatic when you're obsessed with a band or love a band a lot but like literally they're like woven into my life and how it's played out in a very interesting way and so i can't divorce myself from their involvement in my life because it would just look completely different anyway i got to open up for them in 2015 formed a band shortly thereafter and we released an album in 2018 that Jay really liked, Same Old World. And so in 2019, he asked us to tour with them. So we did 16 dates with them and it was fucking amazing. It was amazing. Unbelievable.
0: <laughs> As you're saying, that is a dream.
1: No one gets open of, for yeah. their favorite band. No one does. I mean, no effects did, I guess, right? Because <laughs> their True. favorite band is not religion. <laughs>
0: I, would, I would say, I mean, I don't know everyone in the community, but i would definitely say that you and mike burkett are two of the biggest fans that i can think of of bad religion
1: <laughs>
0: if, a I can, lot of us. if i can if i can that mike that'd be
1: wonderful <laughs> um if you uh go i mean there's communities where you just you know there's tightly knit communities the BR pages has been one of them for a long time where you just meet tons of people who know everything every bit of trivia every date <laughs> every album every liner note there you know it's a passion for them and so yeah we are not alone in that love for sure. I've met a lot of people who I'm like, damn, okay.
0: <laughs> so one of the things I do want to do with this podcast is have conversations with people who have varying ranges of experiences. And it's interesting because you've actually named a couple of the things. The other thing I want to do in terms of people with those ranges of experience are talk to people who may not necessarily be familiar with them, but also people who are and send them a few songs and then we talk about their experiences or about okay. how they feel about the songs or or things that have come up for them. So sure. you know, for instance, I would love to talk about these songs with maybe a history teacher or a philosophy professor or uh, an English professor or whoever just talk about the language that's used in the song, uh, an atheist, okay. a Christian, a Catholic, someone yeah who has experienced divorce, and you talked about divorce. So, you know, there's several more than a few songs uh, in relation to that. But I also hope to do an episode with someone who has or is struggling with addiction, and discussing that person's interpretation of those songs. And you have spoken about your experience with sobriety. And so you said, quote, I'm quoting you here, <laughs> going to therapy, working on sobriety and re-examining certain aspects of my life, it was important for me to have a catharsis in the form of songwriting. So can you expound upon that, what it means when it comes to your songwriting? And as a person who is quite familiar with BR, yeah, a, a person that's familiar with their songs, what ways have you connected to those songs in terms of sobriety with songs like Supersonic? And there's so many more. There's even Billy Nosis, which, what? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, apparently, that was uh Brett Gerwitz's alternate name or something. <laughs> so, you know, there there's plenty of songs like Billy, which is a song that yeah. has made me cry. So yeah. there's more songs than that. But what's your connection to that as a person who has struggled and is dealing with sobriety?
1: This kid is so funny. Um, there's a song that I really link to it that has oh two, two. I think one of the most important songs to me from bad religions catalog is slumber. You like that? <laughs> awesome. Okay, good. <laughs> Love that song. Love yeah. it. I was, you know, in high school, I, I, you know, I'm bipolar. I struggled with depression for many, many years. And I'd never been able to like look at it through a lens of, you know, it's kind of a dark song when you think about it, it's like, don't worry, you are going to die. <laughs> it's going to happen. Don't worry the presence of death and the fight finiteness of life, it just kind of gives you an appreciation, I guess, for things. And so slumber really helped me. That song's really important to me. And so when I, when I struggle with, you know, things like that, it might not be like, you know, songs that I gravitate to that are specifically about addiction that they have. It's just the songs that resonate with me the most because my addiction comes from a place of depression and darkness. Right. So I think the other song is going to weird you out a little bit because it has nothing to do with this at all. But on Empire, there's a song called To Another Abyss. That song has nothing to do with addiction, to my knowledge. It hasn't. Re-
0: that is my favorite bad religion song of all time. Are you serious? I'm absolutely not joking.
1: Amazing. That song, I think, is about like a, a soldier who is dealing mm-hmm. with PTSD, right? Yes. So nothing to do <laughs> with uh, sobriety at all. And when I was 15 and I first heard that song, I didn't know what he was singing about, but it felt like I was going to another abyss every time I had a depressive episode. And what was I, what was I, what do I have to celebrate? You know what I mean? That was a song that really hit me. And it wasn't until I was adult that I was like, oh, no. Yeah, (laughs) It can be about that. That's fine. And that's what the beauty of music is. Sometimes somebody writes a song and it could be about A, and somebody else listens to it. And it's about B for them. And it's so important to them that they continue you know, associating that way. So I think To Another Abyss is definitely one of my top favorite songs of theirs as well. And I think that one is pretty linked to my sobriety for sure.
0: And as a person who lives with depression and I am in the midst of trying to come out of a very major episode right now, I'm feeling you. (laughs) So it is, depression is no joke. (laughs) So... Oh, thank you for that. Yes. I also want to talk about your song Phantom Limb, because I am a person who is an amputee. And I wow, yeah, I experienced phantom pain. (laughs) So wow. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm also a person who has survived abuse. So I concur with you in terms of speaking up, if you are able to or if you have the capacity to I support anyone who is able to speak up about their abuse. And one of the things is a lot of people go, well, why didn't you talk about it when it happened? And you know, there's many reasons and there's an answer for every single person you ask that, but it's
1: because they don't realize at the time that they're being abused. And I think that was the case for me. So
0: exactly, exactly. You know, there are some things that happened to me when I was a child that didn't get triggered until I was much older. And then I started talking about it. And so you know, the experience is going to be different for everyone. yeah. And so I I really appreciate that. So for that song, what was the meaning for you or the inspiration for you?
1: Oh, man, it's pretty dark. (laughs) It alludes to some very dark stuff. The overarching part of that song that I hope people relate to is that you can, I mean, it's encapsulated in the lyric, you can sever off abuse and act it on an ugly whim, but it lingers like fog clings on like a phantom limb. And so I can remove myself from the abuse that I sustained 12 years ago or however long. And there's parts of it that are still molded to me that are still built into me that I, you know, therapy is wonderful. My friends, family, my husband, now all of it's lovely and wonderful, but there, abuse is built into you as it happens. It's like hammering away or chipping, you know, I feel. And so you can, you can cleanse yourself of it mostly. But it still has, the impact that it had on you is still there. You know what I mean? You might be able to cope with it better. It might be manifesting out of you differently. That's true. But you still you still sustained abuse. And so for me, at least in my experience, I could cut it off, but there's aspects of it that I still feel. So that's what, that kind of the metaphor behind the phantom limb um, imagery, I guess.
0: And again, as a person who has experienced and survived abuse in varying forms. I think that's a pretty apt way of describing it. (laughs) So now we're going to talk about the band. It's interesting, because you mentioned interpreting songs in different ways based on your own experiences. And for me, I'm pretty far away from being a, a an atheist or an agnostic but I do consider bad religion to be one of my favorite bands of all times Mm -hmm. and I do consider them to be asking the correct questions around Mm -hmm. these subjects and historically just getting into the experiences of colonized people uh, religion and spirituality have always been used as forces for the revolution or liberation so you have the Haitian revolution. You have our ancestors like Harriet Tubman, Nat Turner, Denmark Vesey. With Denmark Vesey, you had the establishment of the AME church. So there's always those connections and just even subverting gospel songs to have instructions on how to liberate yourself. So these things have been used in positive ways. You you have Fannie Lou Hamer, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. So people have utilized religion and spirituality in ways that furthered movements. But you also have, where I think bad religion has taken it, sort of the critiques of religion as connected to an imperialist force, Hmm. as connected to a political force that is advantageous for the oppressor. So I think that's more in line of where they're going. And that's where I'm like, yes, I agree with
1: that. Oh, yeah,
0: I completely agree with that. (laughs) Yeah, so yeah, like religion being used as a rationalization for criminalizing or worse uh, variances of gender expression or orientation. So that's where you get the imperialist part, because globally, you know, we have two spirit folks, various communities in Africa. Genders aren't even named until the child gets older. So, you know, this idea that gender is universal, which people say here, which is far from true. We can also recognize how white supremacist fears of depopulation. Those things have prompted anti-abortion regulation, because even before, like we're talking about what's happening now, there have been groups of clergy. There have been rabbis to assist people who didn't have care in terms of terminating a pregnancy. So Mm -hmm. these things also need to be discussed. Nothing is in a bubble, nothing's in a vacuum, and everything has a context in history. I think the questions that bad religion asked are, I think they're succinct. They've been very clear that they're not anti-religious in the way of like people who practice religions are horrible people. They Mm -hmm. haven't really done that. They've been more in line of talking about systems and how yeah how it's been in line with more systems of oppression. So I personally don't see the belief in what people would call god mutually exclusive to saying that evolution is valuable or something. I I don't see that as being mutually exclusive. I don't think it's a contradiction. I you know, but a lot of people do. And I'm certainly, certainly not antithetical to science or like, I don't think any of these things are opposing forces, but if your lens is looking at what U.S. imperialism has done or uh, European imperialism has done, then yeah, these questions are going to be asked and maybe you are not necessarily leaning towards saying religion can be a positive thing for folks. So um, I understand why that people do wrestle with that question.
1: It's interesting because I think the people who I don't, I don't know, there are probably some people who take an affront to bad religion and their criticisms and they think, oh, it's it's about me. It's like, no, no, sweetheart. <laughs> they're they're criticizing me and what I've done and what I've stood up for and it's like no main character syndrome no <laughs> you know what i mean how good do you have it when you think that bands are writing specifically about you it's like dude i love how you point out that it's the forces that exist out there that aren't that are that are larger than just one person but are you know systemic and prob- problematic that they look at and they critique that's definitely something that i wish more bands did I think it's something that's vital I think they have really educated me in many ways and I don't know if a lot of musicians can can claim that no (laughs) so like the song tiny voices I think is a great example
0: Um, that's yeah I was going to mention that song yes yes
1: uh, don't pray on me those are great songs and and I think they both kind of touch on exactly the things we're discussing right now and so
0: Definitely, don't prey on me with the the line in regards to body autonomy and pro choice. And then listening to tiny voices, it makes me think about what is happening to the people in Palestine right now. Yeah, it's. Definitely. I I think the one of the things about critiquing larger aspects of society is that it's always going to be timeless because these issues are always going to be happening as long as these systems are thriving in some way. Bad religion's we'll always be gonna be on them. time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. They're always gonna be on time because these issues will never go away. I can't sing. No. <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah, one of the things I love about BR is the lyrical content, it utilizes simultaneously criticism. And empathy. And one of the songs I think of is Born in Extremely Dangerous. Mm-hmm. So it does sort of preempt the whole incel movement, quote unquote, by a number of years. But it's also empathetic to the person who gets roped into that culture because it's like, well, won't somebody listen to me. It's not like you're a horrible person because you got roped into this culture. It's like there is a context behind why they got roped into this culture so it's not it's again more blaming the culture as opposed to the individual and I think that is something they're really good at
1: yeah I think that's an interesting lens to look at that song through that's really interesting
0: yeah so so what when you listen to that song what have you thought about
1: I I you know I feel like someone's talking to me about their mental health when I hear that song and and particularly feeling like they've, they've kind of tapped out from their existence. They've done everything they can do. And there's the purposelessness <laughs> that sometimes is very easy to be felt in life. I mean, there's so many things that we can assign purpose to. And that's what I think makes us as a, as a case study, very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I think also that if you're prone to depression depression is often associated with just boredom life becomes monotonous and there's nothing exciting nothing to move you nothing to encourage you it's just day in and day out gray yeah <laughs> some people live in that existence and they just suffer through it some people do some tragic things because of it you know some people try to find their way out of it in a positive manner it's it's all it's all different but i guess that's kind of i just heard that song and just hearing somebody who I felt like, I mean, not that I, you know, empathize with any kind of action that may or may not have been taken on the narrator's part, because I realize it's a narrator and it's not, you know, Brett literally maybe singing about those things. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he is. I don't know. It just, it felt like he was singing to me directly in a way that very much of that song I can relate to.
0: Yeah, I can relate in a way as well. I recently wrote an essay, which after writing it, I realized, oh, the essay is actually pretty similar to that song. So <laughs> it's just like, oh, feeling the isolation, feeling the loneliness, and, you know, figuring out what outlets you could use in positive ways. So, yeah. Yeah. I think the counter, I don't know if you would call it a counter. Some people would say that. But the interesting thing about this band <laughs> is that the songs are discussing very serious subjects, examining constructs, doing all these things. And yet they don't really take themselves seriously at all. Mm -hmm. And I love that. (laughs) They're performing these songs about imperialism and violence and all this. And then they're just making jokes in between the songs or you look at the interviews. So as a person who is usually a pretty silly person, I love that because the perception is that people who think about these things people who write about these things people who organize around these things are just serious 24 7 and they don't know how to laugh and they don't know how to love and they don't you know so I love that these men who are writing about very serious issues they're like whatever we're Bunch of silly people.
1: <laughs> I could add to that just very briefly. I yeah. think I mean obviously that is the case that they're lighthearted and it's it's good to be. But the people you surround yourself with I think often enable you one way or the other in a positive or in a dysfunctional manner. And my experience playing live music prior to joining with them was playing in dive bars where I'm supposed to play at 9 but now I'm playing at 11:30 because one of the bands hasn't showed up and oh can I borrow your amp and just uh... <laughs> that's that was and still often is my my lived live music experience mm-hmm. but then to go on a journey with a you know a legendary band and just see a well-oiled machine at work everybody on that team has a good nature to them they're all very positive people and they also come here to work and they do their shit and they get their shit done and so it's it's interesting to see them like i'm doing my shit right now and i'm i'm going to be doing my shit until i'm done with that shit and then when they're done with it they're also kind of goofy and so i their crew i i had such a good time bonding with their crew every single person on that team they've they've really chosen the right people to lift them up and have chosen the right people to enable them to be able to um, get in touch with their creative side and not have to worry about so many things so that ultimately they they can do what their responsibility is which is perform for people to the to the best of their abilities and so shout out to Bad Religion's crew, they're fucking dope. <laughs> they're so cool. There were three
0: specific situations where I said to myself, I have to pick this person's brain a little bit, referring mm. to you. There are the videos where you were in the back when Bad Religion was doing sound check. <laughs> I said, this person uh. really loves this band. And I am so fascinated with people who love a thing, regardless of what it is. I mean, if it doesn't harm anybody, obviously. Oh, yeah, the
1: like geek culture.
0: I love it so much. So I saw those and I said, okay, who is this person? <laughs> who is this person? Oh. And then, of course, the parody of No Effects is I'm a huge fan of Bad Religion, which, you know, we sang at the beginning a little bit. And then your cover of Only Entertainment, which is probably my favorite ever Bad Religion cover song.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: That gave me a little, you know, I I teared up listening to it. <laughs> and it's it cool,
1: it, because <laughs> you're you're spanning so many years with these examples. The the new Maps of Hell video is, I think, two thousand nine. You know, two thousand eight, nine, and then um, the huge fan video, I think was like 2013, 14. And then Only Entertainment, I think I recorded with Johnny like a year or two ago. And so you just kind of like bounced around a great expanse of what I've done online. So that's very interesting.
0: (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I think it's amazing. And I think with Only Entertainment, if you know the original song, and then you listen to the cover, it gives it
1: this... That's my favorite song on on Generator.
0: Mine? Ooh, we have similar tastes. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, it's hard to pick because there's so many good songs on that. But I feel like there a lot of my favorite songs are either their B-sides or their very last song on an album. Yes. So,
0: Don't Sell Me Short is in the top three of my favorite battle Legend songs of all time, which is a closer. So.
1: Probably my favorite on New America, for sure.
0: <laughs> Your version of Only Entertainment gives it a particular level of pathos that obviously was not in the original I, the original was it had a little bit more satire involved yeah but I but I think your version got to uh, what bad religions ultimate message is looking at yeah, what okay. the larger structures are that's what I felt listening to it it's it's the critique of a larger structure where people who you know coming off their jobs or you know Dealing with something in life, they're like, "Oh, I have to pay this bill. I'm gonna get kicked out of my house, whatever." And they turn to the TV, they turn to the internet, whatever. That's what I'm feeling. It was mm-hmm. this, this pathos, is this sorrow, and it was just something to it. And I'm like, oh man, I'm like tearing up listening to it. So, thank you. Wow. I really appreciate your reading of that. And then you've got you've got quite a bit of songs that have a similar reading, but that one for me is I don't know. It was especially because it was so it was so different it was along the lines of what they do but it was different at the same time
1: so there's a gentleman by the name of johnny who lives in germany there's a gentleman by the name of johnny who lives in germany <laughs> johnny and German. uh i've known him for years and he's done bad. He, he used to do bad religion covers with another guy 10 however many years ago and i should reach out to him because i know he wanted to do some more and i just life gets in the way right but you know, a number of years ago, he reached out to me asking if I wanted to collaborate. And so we've done a few and he and he is entirely responsible for the arrangements. And I mean, he's a world class musician. And so it's very humbling to be able to sing to those songs. And I certainly endeavor to do a good job and be thoughtful with my vocal performance. He's insanely talented. So that, you know, 90% shout out to Johnny. I, I gave my 10%, but the 90%, he mixes it, masters it and everything, you know, wow. just so he's amazing. Yeah. Johnny,
0: yay. Thank you, Johnny. I don't know you, but thank you for making <laughs> such a, a a wonderful rendition of Only Entertainment and the other songs as well. Oh, man. I ooh. <laughs> Here's where we get to the little bit more serious aspect of our conversation because everything is dialectical to me i want to intro with that Mm -hmm. no one is immune from critique so here comes my the part of the conversation where i do have a little bit of a critique of bad religions
1: oh i was like okay what
0: did i do oh not you not you (laughs) (laughs) not you so i love the age of unreason i love that i love all their albums but It's an album that makes me laugh because I remember in 2016 sitting with my friend, Lisa, we used to live together and we're she watched more of the CNNs or whatever. And I was sitting over there because all the results were coming in Mm. and it was announced that Donald Trump was going to be selected to be president. And I don't say elected because corporations are the ones that ultimately decide who's going to be president. So I say selected, (laughs) but. It's funny because when the results were coming in, she was almost in tears and she was in shock and I was laughing. And the reason I was laughing is because you see me, I'm an African person. I have experienced the racism. I've been followed by white supremacists. I've been held up at airports, all this kind of stuff. So for me, This was just a long time coming like Donald Trump Mm. is the manifestation of the foundation of this country, which is white supremacy and capitalist enterprise. This is that's all he is. So the fact that the people who, in my experience that I have known, friends and acquaintances who have been shocked at this are my friends and acquaintances who are white liberals. Everyone else is like, well, we already knew. Like, what? why are you surprised? So. I'm listening to Age of Unreason. I'm like, none of this is shocking to me. Why are you all shocked? And why are you all upset now? Because this has been happening. Even a song like End of History, where they talk about the kids in cages. Obama by the left, has been called the deporter in chief. Kids were in cages under an Obama administration. Yeah. Why was this not a thing that was mentioned? Why is it only mentioned when there's a Republican in office like mm-hmm. Democrats have been doing this? Biden has a history since the 70s as senator of his white supremacy. That's the largest critique I have of bad religion, where they focus their are on Re- the Republican Party when the Democrat Party is no different. They are just as imperialist. They are just as capitalist. And I haven't really seen a conversation about this. I don't know what your thoughts are on that or, you know, what your experience processing any of this.
1: Yeah, um, that's a good I mean, firstly, I agree with basically everything you just said. (laughs) I do not hold to a blue no matter who at all. I think that Right now we have a blue president who's aiding and abetting a genocide. So I I I don't hold to this standard of I have to fall within a party line because there's yes. the lines are blurred for me. And you're right, you make a good point. There were there I mean, Obama as far as his activities in war <laughs> and there <laughs> there is so much that you could critique. Come on, he, like the lack of transparency he ultimately had when that was a part of his campaigning. I mean I think there's I do feel like. Democrats in this country get a pass when by and large, I mean, it's like the, the, the two things that I side with them the most on obviously are being pro-choice and being pro-queer because I'm queer. So I, and because even if I wasn't, I still would be because it's a, the moral thing to do. Right. But it's like, aside from that, aside from those two things, when it comes to warmongering, when it comes to capitalist fellatio, when it comes to all of those things, there there's hardly if any difference. And so and it's always like, well, we have to concede defeat. There, there's there there's finalists, too. There's finalists and they they don't fight for the things they say they're going to fight for. And so I don't have a lot of kind words for the Democratic Party. I have voted Democrat before because I felt like I had no other choice. But I mean, as far as bad religion goes, I think it's I, I don't want to speak on their behalf. I honestly don't know how they feel. Right. Um, regarding the Democrat Party, I think that they, I think what they ultimately feel transcends party lines in terms of their political beliefs. I think it's easier to be inspired when things are more in your face. The media plays a part of it too. And I'm not saying that they're not listening. I'm just saying when there's someone blue in office, everyone goes to sleep, and they might be doing the same things, but no one's filming it, no one's paying attention, no one's screaming about it or crying about it on TV. Everyone's happy because they're they blue person is running the country, right? Right, All of a sudden you get a red person in office doing those exact same things and everybody's in arms about it. And so you hear more about it, you see more of it. It might creatively inspire something out of you that because you're not so as exposed to it during a democratic presidency, I don't know. That's just a thought that I have. Um, I, I can't substantiate that at all, but I can see why. Age of Unreason being retaliatory to Donald Trump's presidency in many ways, I, I think that I would love to see bad religion be critical um, across the board. I think that would be important. So I hope that answers your question. I don't want to speak on their behalf. That, I don't know how they feel about you know Democratic Republican whatever. Um, I mean, I
0: I know they have spoken specifically. I mean, I, I agree. I cannot speak for them as well. I don't know them, but. They have spoken specifically on candidates and they talked about why they, I don't know if you would call it an endorsement, but they did collectively vote for Obama and Biden. And mm-hmm. they have in an interview stated their reasons. I'm like, wait, but these people have a history. Obama supported wiretapping. Why would you, you know, that kind of thing. And your response is, again, I concur with you on this, that my other critique would be, the lack of intersection in some ways Mm. from the band. There's always a nod or several to Greek philosophers, but you never hear anything about, say, a France Fanon. You uh, always hear them talk about how Europe is more forward thinking based on the support of atheism, for instance, or they're more tolerant. But the thing about tolerant is that it conceals intolerance we should be working on a society that breeds acceptance versus tolerance oh, yeah. because bubbling under that surface is violence towards various groups of people as a person who has been to europe on more than one occasion i can attest to that so it's it's kind of interesting how they're talking about cultural accessibility and tolerance but if you ask non-Europeans who live in Europe, they do not share the same views or experiences. Yeah, obviously it's not a monolith, but there are plenty of people you can talk to who have experienced violence at the hands of a European government, or you know, even if you don't practice religion, just the laws that are coming up right now that are uh, anti-Islam or or laws where you cannot wear hair coverings, or you know, how is that tolerant if they're creating these laws that? Mm-hmm are very much targeting certain groups of people. So I think those are things to think about as well. The former president, Nicolas Sarkozy, calling North Africans animals, like that's an example. France being reintegrated into the uh, organization of NATO, which had a hand in the destruction of Libya. Same-sex marriage wasn't even legal until 2013 in France. So this idea about tolerance, I feel like it's clouded, by the personal experience or levels of comfort, like, well, you know, they treated us okay. So, you know, Europe's fine. You know, so I again I don't know them, but I'm just going on and I have read the books, and that's just a perspective I have. Like, Europe is not tolerant to everyone, it's very selective <laughs> in terms of who they are tolerant towards. And I am a person who does not advocate for. Tolerance. I'm a person that advocates for acceptance because acceptance uh, means that you are seeing people as a whole person, you are seeing someone's full humanity versus tolerance It's just like well I'm just going to coexist with you so we don't have conflict. It's basically a de facto form of conflict avoidance as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it doesn't escape any of that also the praise for Europe does not address the effects of imperialism that are spread all around the world in the global south you know sure. for instance while they talk about imperialism their lens is still u.s imperialism like they don't necessarily address european imperialism or okay. the effects to people who are not european those are the two major critiques i have about Balogun. as much as i love that band i think we have this culture where it's like you can't critique your favorite musicians why not they're people So no one is immune from critique. I don't know if I will ever meet these people, but this is a podcast about bad religion. And so, you know, talking about these uh, contexts and I I think it's really important and it gives people to think about and maybe it's like, oh, I've never thought about that before. I don't know, because I've never heard anyone else talk about it. And I don't know if I'm the only person thinking about it. But those are definitely critiques I have of the band
1: is is what you're referring to more in in terms of specific songs or is it in their book because I know in their book they do talk about Germany and how Germany played a role in their early yes growth
0: yes so i'm i'm talking about that and greg graffin does talk in his book specifically about how europe is more forward thinking and more tolerant and yeah. praising how atheism is something that's accepted you know that sort of thing but i think yeah. the lens is so limited based on his and their personal experiences and yeah. levels of comfort that it lacks in intersection.
1: Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I completely see the need to be. I think it's important that when you have a platform, it's um, intersectionality is important, especially if you're trying to be if, if you're if the idea is to help educate people. I don't want to say that that's what they're trying to do I realize that they're musicians and they're just making music because they love it. But If a mode is operandi and part of your band is trying to bring awareness or education, I can see the value of intersectionality playing a role in that. So yeah, England seems like a beautiful place from afar.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know if you remember this, but there was, what was it, AOL or Guitars, or one of those, when they had the questions coming from people in other countries. There were a lot of folks from Argentina and the interesting thing is like Bad Religion, The Ramones, so many bands, South America goes out for these Dude. bands. Dude,
1: <clears throat> honestly, I've I've talked about this before. If I was given the opportunity to tour a continent, I would tour South America. Oof. Yeah, I would, I would think, I think there would, I don't know how, how the, that would work. <laughs> it's a big, it's a big continent. There's a lot of cities. There's a lot of space between them. Right. But the, the idea of going to Argentina or Brazil um, or Chile, I have people from those areas who throughout my musical career have been awesome. More frequently than I see, I see them more frequent than Europeans for sure. And so they care a lot. They're passionate. They really love music. They really love supporting the musicians that they admire. So I I think going to South America and performing would be sick.
0: That is actually on a bucket list of mine to go to a concert in South America because they that is how you have a concert as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah.
1: I want to go to Lima, Peru, really bad.
0: So. Ooh. Yeah, about. I I have comrades that from there. So yeah, yeah I they they go they go out. <laughs> yeah. But there was a question, I think it was from a woman in Argentina, I think. That she asked the band, and I think maybe it was specific to Greg Graffin. I can't remember if it was the whole band or just to one person. But she asked, what are your thoughts on feminism? They were like, oh, wait, wait okay, okay. And the Greg was like, yeah, you know, I didn't really think about it until I had a daughter. And then what? Didn't we do that Rock for Choice thing? It was so funny. It was kind of awkward, but it was funny. But the fact that they have had songs, you know, discussing you know, feminist issues, you know, it's, it's something that's there that's in their purview. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there, there are a couple of intersections there, but it's like, but push it a little more. That, that would be my critique, but this is, this is all in love, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so here's a less pressing question. The more you've come into your own creative self, have there been certain bad religion songs? I know you mentioned a couple, but have there been some that shifted in terms of their significance or meaning for you the more you've come into your creativity or the more you have life experience or whatever that is for you and are there certain songs that you've kept close to your heart
1: lose your head is a really important song to me why <laughs> are you naming
0: all these songs <laughs> that i love what what
1: is? i that have good taste okay <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no but um i had a friend who had was battling two different kinds of cancer when Age of Unreason came out and it was just the big that the first note and the drums coming in just like I I have chills talking about it like it's Mm -hmm. hearing it live too dude it's uh aesthetically it's a a great song I know that they had made a decision to taper it down and to play it slower make it more of an anthem because apparently at first it was a punk rock song but you know the the choice to let it be nestled in the middle of this album that is pretty dynamic and, and it might be, in my mind, the most dynamic song, even without the speed attached. The best songs, this is what I'm learning. Some of the best songs, you don't say a lot. You don't have to say a lot. I feel like sometimes I'm plagued with wordiness. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I need to pare down and just simply put something out there. And sometimes it's just one phrase. You know what I mean? And so it's, it's a simple song. The verses are simple. The chorus is a rep- repeated line. It is not a complicated song. That's what makes it work. Yes. And so for me, dealing with and helping with my friend who was battling cancer at this time, I was, I was taking him to chemotherapy and radiation and trying to be a supportive role for him. And, you know, at the same time, trying to support myself. I was struggling financially and it was just a rough season for me. And so to hear that song, it really became something that I carried around with me in my pocket, you know, as many of Brett's songs are. <laughs> so that's yeah. um, a, I guess that one for me is, you know, the older you get, the easier it feels to just kind of situate. But in doing that, it's easier also, I guess, to lose sense of yourself. And I, I don't know, it's a great song. And it's a more recent song for sure. But I, 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 so it hasn't had time to develop and change with me, but it's important to me. A song that I see in a new light, man, based on my own creativity, that's And really interesting question that I haven't really given a lot of thought to. I guess um, one of my favorite songs that there's is Finite. It's probably Mm -hmm. my top 10. Wow. I love Finite. It's the best. I say it's the best song that never made it to Descent of Man. (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) such a good song. I feel like that's also a master class on good songwriting. And I I think it was, I mean, I loved that song because it sounded cool when I was, you know, 22 when it came out, 23, however old it was. It sounded cool. So I liked it, right? but you it's like one of those songs the more you sit with it and look at it the more you can uncover as to why it's a brilliant song Mm -hmm. so I think that comes with you know your own time and whatever so seeing seeing the interesting chord choices and things like that that you know the 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 bridge and how impactful it is the message and why it's so important and how it attaches itself lyrically to the verses I I just that's a song that I think I, I knew I loved from the beginning but Every time I hear it, I feel like I have another reason to love it. So I hope that helps with that question. I have no idea what the fuck Beyond Electric Dreams is about. Sometimes I think it's about Moses. I don't fucking know. I have no idea. In fact, Brett one time, he was like on a chat when they were playing the song. It was like the live, a live stream thing. And he was like, anyone know what the song's about? And everyone's just, you know, this, 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 this. And nobody knows. (laughs) No idea. I, you know, I think, I think about it being about Moses because the line of, um, what's the line of the about I, there's a I'm I'm tired I can't think But there's a line in the song that makes me go oh this is about this is about God coming down and transcending in heaven and manifesting on earth and fire and things like that so that's what it's about but I, I think it's probably way more complex than that let's go where the raptor goes but I don't know but that's probably in my top five favorite songs even though I don't know what the fuck it's about the way it's built I think it's just such a good song and so I, I don't really, I love knowing what the lyrics are to songs. I love like reading, I'm I'm a very ly- lyric driven person. So if I can understand what it is you're saying and follow along and connect with it, that's where I get the most enjoyment out of music. So it's kind of like a paradox with Beyond Electric James. Cause again, I don't know what the fuck he's singing about. I really don't, but I'm, I'm obsessed with that song. And so it's definitely in my top slumber I already told you about and why that's important. There's others that I'm blanking on, but I mean, there's so many songs, right? Amazing.
0: I know they get compared to Lennon and McCartney a lot. And there was actually a reference to that, I think, in Do What You Want, the book. Hmm. But yeah, I think they're one of the greatest songwriting pairs that I have experienced. And it's actually, honestly, not much of a difference. And I think in uh, what was it, the Hollywood Palladium DVD, they talked about how at some point their songwriting has merged, even though they are distinctly different songwriters in one way or another, but they have merged in some way where it balances itself. And yeah. Greg Graffin being a more scientific writer and more, Brett Garrett said he's more observationist. I think that makes a whole lot of sense. And Brett is more stream of caution.
1: I feel like Greg is an, an external writer and Brett is an internal writer, if that makes any sense. And there's crossover. I'm not saying that that's, you know, monolithic. It's not, but I feel like Brett can be real deep and introspective about some shit and Greg can do that, but maybe on a more outside looking in level. And so, Mm -hmm. but I also think that, you know, there's instances where they've transcended that. And I do see, or I think I see, especially in later years, how they've influenced one another. Mm -hmm. It's kind of rubbed off on each other. And so that's what's cool. If, if they were so separated, it would just, you know, but they, there's songs, there's even songs where you, it's hard to tell who wrote what, you know. Yeah. They got to that point, and so both are just insane songwriters and bring such merit to what they do for sure. If I could
0: meet either one of them and just talk about writing for two hours, I would totally do that.
1: <laughs> oh, you and I both. You and I both.
0: We talked a little about about favorite songs impactful songs and how they sometimes commingle and i talk about billy billy's not even on the top five of my my favorite songs which just shows you how great (laughs) their songs are but it is to me again one of the most impactful and you know sorrow is another one that has made me cry don't sell me short, I've cried on. That is in my top three. <laughs> but you know, tiny voices again, it's such an incredibly moving song. And I think that goes to again the empathy. Even though they're talking about the critiquing larger structures of oppression, or there's that humanity that's in there. And I think it's purposely done to counter the pessimism that does exist in punk. It's countering the nihilism. It's countering all these things which they actively fought against and sort of have disassociated from the punk scene because of that nihilism, because of that violence, because of the misogyny. And so when you take a band that has been around this long, I think this is why they've endured, because they do acknowledge the humanity in us all. The people aren't necessarily associated with the structure sometimes we do get roped into that so for instance just because we both live in the U.S. it doesn't mean that we identify with what the U.S. does
1: oh, fuck no right
0: so, <laughs> so, <laughs> no. right so I think that's really what makes bad Religion so distinct from other punk bands And while listening to punk, I'm a punk kid. So, you know, I'm in my 40s. I'm still a punk kid. I don't care. But when you listen to a lot of punk is just saying and, you know, they've emphasized this in the book and others like, oh, fuck the government. But they're more like, okay, but why fuck the government? Yeah,
1: (laughs) Yeah. it's it's easy to be nihilistic. Look outside. The world sucks. It's horrible. It's terrifying. Exactly. it's, It's so easy to be a nihilist. Like, it's not hard to be a nihilist. Are you kidding me? But that what does that offer? To everyone it's like someone going outside and being like it's raining you guys it's raining guys it's raining it's like yeah we're standing in the rain we fucking know <laughs> like, like <laughs> i'm wet i know it's raining like what good does that do it's good to vent and it's nice you know if, if there's a pent-up emotion that you want to put out there in a song do it right it's it's your art but if it's just the same thing and i can see why people that's why i love the vandals because they don't take mm-hmm. themselves seriously at all they will write the dumbest songs ever. Some of them, but, but like, you know, I am the ambassador of kick your ass at her. Like, come on, dude, there's my girlfriend's dead. Like they're, they're dumb. They're a dumb fucking band and they're, they're a punk band, but they they, they offer more than just, I'm standing in the rain and it's raining and guess what? Everyone it's raining. And I'm going to tell you about it, even though you're there with me. And so yeah. with that, I think, I think they acknowledge that the world is a, a terrible place. If this life makes you scared and bitter, at least it's not for very long. Right. And and the beauty of that is there's something attached to it's raining. It's raining, but the sun's going to come up. It's raining, but, you know, you can go inside. It's raining, but whatever. The but and is what makes them, I think, withstand the test of time.
0: Yes, absolutely. So with that, what are some positive things that you have found in terms of being in the bad religion
1: community? Oh, wow people are just so fucking nice like it's it's so easy to go outside again and be in the rain standing in the rain and all you feel is rain right but a man i just the people how how they just when they love something and they support it they want to to the extent in which they do that you know i'm a i'm a byproduct of in and in, in at least with my covers and the influence they've had with me i'm a byproduct of them and yet people still are so embrace and and then the one the people who are you know they acknowledge my covers and they like it but then they also go out of their way to listen to my own songs. I say this about touring too. It's a reminder that people are there are good people out there. There's a lot of shitheads out there. The world is a run up with shitheads, but there are some people out there that are just gems. And I feel like a lot of them exist in this community. And I think it's a community that, you know, again, I don't want it to make it sound monolithic, but there are reasons people love bad religion. And if, if it's because of the intellectual merits they bring, if it's because of the creative merits they bring, if it's because of... But those things, uniting people and being common factors, I think it's going to carve out for them a different portion of the populace. Mm-hmm. Not without its flaws. It's overrun by white dudes. But um, <laughs> it would be nice to see a little bit more variety. But point being, <clears throat> you're going to have a different core group of support than you would a band that maybe doesn't prioritize those things. The reason I... When I was on tour, every night I'd have somebody come up to me and oh, I've been I've been watching your covers for 10, 15 years. And I, that's so cool to meet you. I knew you'd do this someday. We were all rooting for you. And I was, And every time somebody came up to me and had something like that to say, I made it a point to tell them I get to do this because of be you. Yeah. I get to I get to do it apart because I don't suck. Yay for me. <laughs> but there's a lot you. of people. Nope. That, <laughs> no, <laughs> hooray for me and fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> I almost missed that. Good, good job. <laughs> no but like there's a million people out there who are good there are and so part of why i get to do this because i'm good at what i do but i get to do it because of those people and so every single time i saw one of them and they came up to me and they wanted a picture or a hug or something i let them know i get to do this because of you yeah if you did not if you did not exist and you did not support me you and everyone else who has I would not be doing this, you know, is the earliest form of me going online and just annoying people with my covers, my squeaky, my out of, out of tune guitar and my nasal voice and people still wanting to listen to them and share them building a little, a little army around me that that has been very supportive over the years, you know? Yeah. I I have nothing but good things to say. And my appreciation for every single person who's helped me manifest a dream that was beyond my comprehension is, is so deep. And, uh, listening, people who, who endeavor to listen to my music and have, you know, their, their feedback on it, positive or negative. I've always appreciated that too. So.
0: Oh, I wanted to bring one song up. I would be remiss if I did not bring this up, get off to me. I don't know what you think about that. To me, that song is the greatest song about sex ever. It is a song that really describes a reservation someone has because usually you listen to songs it's I want to sex you up so it's usually like the the result of doing it or like being in the club and seeing someone wanting to do it but this is actually someone the the word spinning around in their head like what I want to do and my struggle with trying to get there and so I don't know what you think about that because it's someone (laughs) who's pretty much a cynic and his feelings about this person are contradictory to Everything that he's thought about life—that is how I interpret the song. I could be absolutely wrong about that, but I that mean, is my interpretation.
1: I think you're pretty spot on. I think that what's cool about songs like that is it's not about sex. It's a song about sex, but it's not about sex, right? Mm-hmm. Sex is the lens that they look through. The song, I think, is about the person really, and why sex is important to them, or why they go to the the lengths they do to to get off. And so, I think if you look at it through that lens it could be applicable to a lot of different things the mechanism mm-hmm. that he's applying it to is sex but it's a song that i think could be relatable to beyond just sex and so i i, I really appreciate songs that do that again it's the butt end for bad religion right you know that they they tap into and that's yeah i love that song i think song i think that's and you can look at it through the lens of sex and it's funny and it, it exactly <laughs> it works. Yeah, it's, it, it's, the it's the nice to feel like a cynic, you know? Yeah,
0: right. It's the awkwardness of sex. And i it's very rare to have a song about that because usually when people write songs about the awkwardness of sex, it's just sort of jocular. I like that it's taking, a, again, a humanistic approach to that awkwardness. They do that so well.
1: as they just people relate so to them and love them because, you know, so many of their fans, they feel like people don't get them. They feel like they've been kind of outcasts
0: absolutely myself included yes
1: (laughs) oh I was bullied I was bullied beyond belief when I was a kid I you know I wanted to die when I was 13 14 years old like I Mm, yeah I mean me too so (laughs) yeah I think that's why I clung on to them especially hard when into my teenage years because I felt heard and seen and things that I was thinking about that I couldn't really articulate there was a band articulating them for me I was raised very Christian super duper Christian I was a worship leader that's how religious I was Wow. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, my junior year, sophomore, junior year, I always had a hard time when I would play worship music because I never felt like I could get past the ceiling. Mm -hmm. You know, I was trying with my heart. It wasn't like I'm performing for people and I want them to like me. It's like, I really no, I really want to do this and I want to do it right. I want to I want to worship God correctly and I Mm -hmm. I, want to make sure that I'm doing it appropriately and I want to make sure that he's pleased by it. Tries I'm right. I could never get past the ceiling. It was just a fucking ceiling, you know. Right. I'm inundated with, you know, my whole social life is around my church and my youth group. And I, you know, but there's these thoughts that I just can't seem to shake out of my head about why? Why can't I ask questions? Why do I feel these things and I feel guilt for them? Why do I never feel God? I see all these people around me speaking in tongues, shaking and crying, talking about feeling his presence. And I'm over here in the corner, just like, I would like that. I would like that a lot what it is about me that is failing that I don't uh, get afforded that. Mm. And I remember again, my ex-husband burnt me that CD and he put shattered faith on it. Yeah. And Ah. I remember listening to it at night in my bed crying because I was hearing, you know, somebody who gets it, somebody who gets it and and wants to understand it too. And I don't know, it just my, my brain couldn't wrap my head around the lyric, the verses back then. It was just the chorus that I clung to really hard. I mean, that's that lyrically. It's really fast. It's a very fast, wordy, bad religion song. (laughs) And so I was just kind of like, okay, it's a good verse. And then I'd get back to the chorus and like, okay, this is where I'm at. (laughs) You get it. Top song for me for sure. One of them.
0: Um, Yeah, you've shattered faith. Faith alone. God song. There are plenty materialist. If you want to go there. (laughs) I love that song. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I I am not a person who is an atheist. I love those songs. mm -hmm. I'm, you know, they're they're great songs. They have such a great catalog and I agree with you in terms of trying to pick what a favorite album is or it's, it's hard. Yes, I have two, but it's still hard. I don't
1: think they have an issue with the concept of God. You know, they're they're naturalists, right? Right. Greg says he's a naturalist, right? He's an atheist. Sure. (laughs) Um, I don't think fundamentally they have an issue with the concept of a loving, benevolent God. I don't think they Mm -hmm. think he exists personally, but I don't Mm -hmm. think they take an offense to the concept of it. I think what they take offense to is how we let that concept dictate how we treat one another, how we treat the planet. I think that's why the cross I think is a really appropriate symbol for bad religion because they're not nixing out, you know, the belief in a god. They're nixing out the 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 representation, how that belief represents itself and manifests in a cross. And so many people out there look at iconography and it's so important to them and this crosses it's not even it's a picture it's not even god it's just a symbol right but they look at it like it's sacrosanct and so to take that and go no (laughs) it doesn't like it's a picture it's an icon it's not sacrosanct it's not representative if there's a god out there he probably hates this fucking symbol because like why would you go look at the thing you died on i'm gonna wear it like right it's and i always
0: talk about this how people wearing crosses, pendants, and all this, and the image of Jesus, you're still worshiping death, even though it's talking about, oh, resurrection, you're still worshiping death in a way. At the same time, you're afraid of death. So which one is it? I definitely, I think that's a great point that you made.
1: I've known a lot of people who who like bad religion, and they believe in God, but Mm -hmm. they're not the people that I, I spent time with in church, because those people were the, you know, the ones who were trying to intermix God with society, you know, and, and that's where the problem lies, right? So right. um I don't think they've had an issue with the concept of God. I think they don't think there is validity to it, but I don't think they're, you know, excluding people from their fan base or trying to, you know, gatekeep their music from them. I just think they have a, you know, when it gets thrown down at us and becomes more than a concept. When it, it exceeds its conceptualness, <laughs> I think that's when they have an issue with it, probably. And I do too, so.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you have any words of wisdom to round out this episode? Any uh, words for the community? Any words you'd like to say in case Jay or someone is listening to this? I doubt it, but you know.
1: (laughs) Oh man, I would love to end on Jay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, thank you. Because I was struggling. You're like, what do you want to end on? And I'm like, ah. But no, I think ending on Jay is great. Jay. It's weird that I could consider someone in my favorite band a friend.
0: Hmm. We don't
1: talk very often, but I mean, he has said that in the past. And that's that's that blows my mind. It's weird. Crazy. He has been that religion has been such a force in my life. But Jay, as an extension of bad religion, has been such a fucking force in my life. Jay is the one who in 2015, when I had quit playing music, he said, here's an opportunity. Got me back into music. He's the one I remember when I released my third album. He was receptive to me sending demos. He just applauded me and, and and encouraged me every step of the way, you know, would tell people about my covers and what I was doing. He was the one who asked my band to open for them in 2019. He's the one who encouraged my sobriety. I've had multiple discussions about sobriety with him that he's been kind enough to engage me on. And so I in my mind, Jay is the heartbeat of Bad Religion. He really is. You know, if Brett and and Graffin are the brains of Bad Religion, Jay Bentley is the heart and soul of that band. And he is I can't overstate the profound role he's played in my life. Like, I get emotional. So, if he does hear this, I love you, Jay. <laughs> you yay. you have changed my life profoundly, and I'm forever indebted to you. So,
0: yay, Jay. I, Jay. <laughs> and how can folks stay in tune with whatever you're doing? How can they contact you if they have any questions or anything?
1: Oh, boy, man, I really need to, like, I hate social media. I'm on it all the time, but I, just, I,
0: I don't have social media accounts.
1: <laughs> when people tell me like, oh, you have to make reels. I'm like, I don't know fucking fucking my brains out. Like <laughs> you have to stay relevant. No, I don't. Um, You can, you know, I upload things onto my YouTube once or twice a year these days. So I just uploaded a, a cover of sorrow on Wednesday.
0: I saw it. It was beautiful.
1: <laughs> Thank you. So, I mean, if you want to follow me on YouTube, um, you can watch 15 years worth of stuff some of it's very awkward now but it's there i have an instagram at emily davis music i tend to favor that platform over anything else twitter's stupid i don't use twitter i have an account i guess it's x now but whatever facebook is e davis music the title of the page is emily davis and the murder police and then yeah i've got three different options for your listening pleasure on well Bandcamp would be my suggestion but if you stream music Emily Davis and the Murder Police is my band. We're working on an EP that we're going to be releasing hopefully in the next few months. My acoustic duo, Cult Loveless, we're also wrapping up recording an EP that we'll release this year. And then I released a solo EP last year, And so, which you alluded to earlier with Phantom Limb. So plenty of options. Yeah. If you if you like my covers, check out my original music. It's not bad. It's pretty It's already. not
0: bad at all. Not bad at all. Thank you so much, Emily, for
1: yeah. being here. Thank you. Oh, how cool is this to have a podcast about bad religion and to be on a, an episode, especially one of the early ones. That's really nice of you to invite me. And um, I don't take it for granted. So I've enjoyed our conversation a lot.
0: I do not take you being here for granted. That is for sure.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much. Of course. I hope you have a
0: great afternoon. Thanks. You too. This podcast strikes first Our appreciation is first And from the seams, thank you for listening Stay tuned till we meet again